You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hi, I'm Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl, and this week we're going to talk about the word smitten and its violent origin. I have an excerpt about Emily Dickinson and Dashes from Mary Norris's new book, Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen. And finally, I have a tidbit about why we say something is spick and span. What does that mean? Now, have you been smitten? And if so, is that good or bad? Tara L. from New Jersey asked, Are you smitten by someone or smitten with someone? Well, both smitten by and smitten with appear to be acceptable. Smitten with may be slightly more common, but not by much. If you feel the need to make a distinction, being smitten by someone could imply some sort of action on the part of the adored person. And being smitten with someone could imply that he or she is unaware of your affection and has done nothing to encourage it. But those aren't hard and fast rules. Although I've heard the word smitten being used to describe only affection, it's actually a form of the verb to smite, which means to hit or strike. And the adjective smitten can also describe something or someone who has been struck. This violent meaning was used long before it was used to describe love, which gives me a whole new perspective on the saying, all's fair in love and war. For example, you could say, she teetered back and forth like a smitten sapling, or his army has smitten multitudes. And that was your quick and dirty tip. You can say you were smitten by someone or smitten with someone. They're both okay. Next, I have an excerpt of the book Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen, by Mary Norris, who has spent more than 30 years working in the copy department at The New Yorker. The most famous proponent of the dash was, of course, the poet Emily Dickinson. And it's because of her that, for me, the dash has a feminine slant. With Emily Dickinson at the table, my simplistic division of dashes into table forks and salad forks falls apart. She uses dashes for everything, and sometimes for two things at once. If her different size and style of fork were assigned to each of her various dashes, the table setting would require not just dessert forks and fondue forks and those tiny forks used for teasing out snails, but also tuning forks and pitchfork. Dickinson's dashes have given rise to an entire academic industry— There's still no agreement among scholars over which of our conventional dashes suits her typographically. I think of dashes as an aid to conventional syntax, so I am not the ideal copy editor for, or even reader of, Emily Dickinson. The scholar Christian Miller writes, In Dickinson's poetry, 
the dash's primary function is rarely syntactic to mark a tangential phrase for the reader or enclose a narrative aside. Rather, dashes typically isolate words for emphasis, provide a rhythmical syncopation of the meter and phrase of a line, and act as hooks on attention, flowing the reader's progress through the poem, unquote. Some scholars think the dashes were a form of musical notation, with the length of the dash indicating the length of a pause, or even a tonal system. R.W. Franklin, whose edition of the poems for Harvard University's Belknap Press, is the approved academic text. There's both a single-volume reading edition and a three-volume variorum edition. R.W. Franklin writes that although the poet also used the comma in the period, she, quote, relied mainly on dashes of varying length and position, tilting up or down, as well as extending horizontally, unquote. While some of Dickinson's poems do have a period at the end, Miller writes that she's, quote, apt to use the period ironically to mock the expectation of final certainty, unquote. She's fond of the, quote, syntactically ambiguous dash, unquote, which, quote, both allows the sentence to continue if we read the dash as a dash and makes the continuation a surprise, if we read the dashes and punctuation, which it often is in Dickinson's poetry, unquote. What is a copy editor to do? I don't hate ambiguity, but I can't be trusted to punctuate it either. The one time it fell to me to style Dickinson's dashes, when her poetry was quoted in a book review by Judith Thurman, I blew it. The fact checker had on her desk the author's source, which had what I took for N-dashes floating unmoored between words. I'd never seen anything like this in the New Yorker. Quivering with impatience, M-dash. Patience, spaced hyphen, is the smile's exertion. Through the quivering, spaced hyphen. I styled the verse in the most pedestrian way possible, marking all the dashes as one M's and closing up the space between the dash and the preceding word. The Library of America, in one of its volumes of 19th-century American poetry, treats the Dickinson dashes in the same flat-footed way. Today, the entire archive of Emily Dickinson is available online, but even scholars who can read the poet's handwriting have to make decisions about how to handle the dashes. In the Franklin edition, a spaced hyphen, as above, rather than an N or an M dash, has been used as appropriate to the relative weight of her dashes in most of the poems, Franklin makes the point that Dickinson's poems were never published by the poet herself. She copied her finished poems onto sheets of folded stationery, poked holes in the fold, and stitched them together into what the scholars call fascicles. So although poetry is, quote, a public genre to be brought editorially into line with public norms of presentation, unquote, Her poems should be treated as a private genre, like a letter or a diary, and therefore her practice should be followed as closely as possible. When Dickinson's pencil jottings on odds and ends of paper, envelopes, receipts, wrapping paper, were published as an art book, The Glorious Nothings by Marta Werner and Jen Bourvin, I went downtown to see some of the originals in an exhibit, The Drawing Center in Soho. They were under glass and distorted by reflections from overhead lights, and it was hard to inspect them without slobbering on the vitrine. 
An artist friend who'd been somewhat irritated by the show asked about Dickinson, quote, didn't she have any pads of paper, unquote? These gorgeous nothings are not formal poems, but thought to be things she was working up or fragments from her correspondence that she'd decided to keep. One of the poems that begins, Pinions slash of disdain, the scholar Susan Howe wrote that the dots over the eyes are expressive. Any poet who can get so much satisfaction out of dotting her eyes as if concealing upside-down exclamation points of anger deserves to have her dashes respected. The dots and dashes actually put me in mind of telegrams, an obsolete form of communication, the Twitter of its time, that had its own style, almost anti-style, lacking any form of punctuation except the primitive command, stop. That was excerpted from Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen by Mary Norris. Copyright 2015 by Mary Norris. Included here with permission of the publisher, W.W. Norton and Company, Inc., all rights reserved. And now, here's your tidbit by Samantha Enslin. Many of us wish for houses that are spick and span, but when you make that wish, do you know what you're really asking for? Nails and wood chips. Spick and span means neat and clean. For example, after Dante's mom cleaned his room, it was spick and span for the first time in months. But the term's origins have little to do with dusting and mopping. The term actually pairs two nouns that are now obsolete. Spick used to mean a nail or spike. Span used to mean a wooden chip. The modern word spoon can also be traced back to span because spoons used to be made from wood. Back in the 1500s, a ship was called spick and span if every nail and chip in it were brand new. That seafaring meaning started to get lost in the mid-1800s, but as late as 1903, a slang dictionary described spick and span as, quote, quite fresh, brand new, as a spike and chip from a workman's hands, unquote. So at that time, at least some folks must have known the meanings of spike and chip. The 1903 Dictionary and the Oxford English Dictionary also give some variations on spick and span. We see speck and span, spick span new, span new, and best of all, span fire new. So the next time you describe something you just bought, try span fire new. You might put that term back in fashion. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Spick and span was originally used to describe the fresh nails and wood on new ships. That piece was by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or find her tweeting at dragonflyedit. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl, and you can find me at quickanddirtytips.com. This podcast was recorded in the studios at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada. That's all. Thanks for listening. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. At Capella University. You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. 
Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.